Good morning. Hi, my name is Pastor Matt, and if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open to 1 John. It's in the, toward the end of your Bibles. If you need help, usually at the front of the Bible is a table of contents with a page number, but it's very close to the end of your Bible. We are in the home stretch of looking at this letter. Um, last week, we, we listened to the Apostle John help us have a better understanding of what love is and what love looks like. Uh, this Sunday, we're looking at uh, John giving some clarity on what is faith. And then next week, we're going to talk a little bit about what does it mean to have you know, a, a Christian confidence. Um, very close to what are called the theological virtues, faith, hope, and love. But we're going to dig into what is faith today. Uh, our general uh, process as we teach on same words, we like to look through books of the Bible. And so, like I said, we'll finish First John actually next Sunday. And then in two weeks, we are going to look, uh, walk through the book of Proverbs uh, and look at just a few Proverbs throughout the summer. And so I, I think it's pretty clear that where we are in my own life, in our city, in our country, we need wisdom. And so that's what uh, we're going to trust God to grant us wisdom. So let me pray one more time just for the preaching of the word. I'll read First John uh, 1 through 11, and then we'll jump in. Lord, thank you for uh, your mercies. Thank you for your word. We pray now that open our ears. Pray that the meditations of our heart and uh, the speaking of your word would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Hear now God's word from 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given us about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar, because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This ends the reading of Holy Scripture, God's authoritative and enduring word. I testify to its validity, and I assure you it is true. A small high school reaches the football championship. It's the rural nobodies versus the private school somebodies. And what do you see in the stands? On that side of the rural school, there's all these signs. Moms and dads, grandparents, elementary kids, each of them lifting up a sign that says, we believe. I mean, they're small signs, so we're going to assume that it, that it means we believe we can win? 
we believe we have a chance. We believe that David beat Goliath before. Knock on wood, maybe this day too. If you walk through Hobby Lobby, what do you see? Aisle after aisle of decorations that say faith or believe. If you pick up a copy of the book Polar Express, you can listen to the conductor tell you, seeing is believing, but sometimes the most real things in the world are things we can't see. You overhear a pastor speaking to a terminally ill patient, they whisper, you just got to believe. In my own house, in the upstairs bathroom, we have a rock that says, believe. I'm not really sure what we're believing in that room. But, but we have a rock in our bathroom that says, believe. But guess what? The football team with the most we believe signs still loses. Families with faith decor in their house lose children. Terminally ill patients who believe die. And so we need a better understanding of what faith is. What does it mean to believe? Does Christian faith matter? Too often it doesn't appear that faith works. Maybe we should have rocks that say unbelief. Okay, so into such questions, I think 1 John chapter 5 begins to spark some answers, some clarity. Uh, we'll look at all 11 verses, but I'm, I'm digging in. The heart of the text for me is verses 4 and 5, where it says, in his, um, it says, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, there's a lot of things that, again, you could talk about when it comes to Christian faith. Christian faith is one of those, those mines full of treasures, different rubies and sapphires and gold. Uh, but this key aspect that John says is faith is victory. Faith is centered on Jesus, the Son of God. Um, it's not uncommon, you'll come across this expression, the victorious Christian life. The victorious Christian life. I went and put that little expression into Amazon this week to figure out what Amazon has to offer on the expression, the victorious Christian life. There were 20 different web pages that had everything from um, over-the-top health and wealth preachers, faithful preachers like Tony Evans. He has a book on the victorious Christian life. There was a bunch of zany New Age hucksters playing on people's fears and how you can have this victorious Christian life. But here... <laughs> John, uh, John is writing. And John isn't anybody. We talk about this most weeks, but I want to just reiterate, who is John? Who wrote this? John walked with Jesus of Nazareth for the three years of his earthly ministry. John was instructed by Jesus. John was a witness to the death of Jesus at the crucifixion. crucifixion. John saw the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. John was instructed for 40 days with the resurrected Christ to understand the nature of truth and who Jesus is and what faith is. That's why he is called an apostle. And so we turn to this one who has now been filled and led by the Holy Spirit to preserve truth. What is faith? What is the victorious Christian life? 
And one of the things I want you to see here in the first kind of five verses is that Christian faith is subjective. Or you could even use the term Christian faith is experiential. If you go back to verses one and two, it starts with saying everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. I just want you to, we're going to, everyone who believes. Not the elite Christians who believe. Everyone who believes. Every Tom, Dick, and Harry. Uh, every run-of-the-mill Christian. This is, this is an, a universal feature for all those who believe. It says everyone who believes that Jesus is Christ is born of God. Here's a universal feature for those who believe. They're born of God, right? That means they've experienced a divine work of spiritual life that works from the inside out. It's a, it's a metamorphosis uh, of, of our nature, of our, a transformation more significant and more, have a greater proportion than the show Fixer Upper or Extreme, you know, Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Right? It's, but it is this change, this transformation. But Notice what the transformation is. It's quite miraculous. <laughs> it transforms us from being lovers of ourselves to lovers of God and lover, lover of others. Which those of you who have raised children know that that is a miraculous change that God needs to do. Like the seagulls and finding Nemo, our children are, mine, 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 mine. Right? There has to be some sort of change. It says everyone born of God, or excuse me, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. And this is how we know we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. So John is describing something that's somewhat logical, but, it, but it's supposed to be experiential, right? It's the idea that those who love God, they've been born of God, they also begin to love God's kids. I mean, that happens. We have good friends named Scott and Sandy. We love their adult children, Nick and Kate, because we love their parents. We love their kids. John is saying, as someone who's been born of God, believes in God, you begin to love God's kids. And then he adds this other feature of faith. This is how we know that we love the children of God. How do we act on our love? It says, by loving God and carrying out his commands. Uh, this took some time for me to process. How does loving God and obeying his commands relate to loving others? And this is one of the things as you dig deep into the New Testament or what's called the new covenant, the new relationship with God that's made possible because of Jesus. It says we can now love at a much deeper and more, pro uh, more pronounced way than you could under the old covenant. Um, some ways if you read the Old Testament, it, it feels like it's minimalist obedience. Right, minimalist obedience. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not. Okay, how do I not do that? Okay, I don't stab anybody this week. I don't shoot anybody this week. I obeyed that this week. That's kind of a minimalist sense of obedience. But the New Testament, and particularly like Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he goes extremely deep on what it actually means to obey God and to love others. So for example, in uh, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is recorded saying this, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so Jesus is saying minimalist obedience doesn't cut it. The kind of obedience and love that, that Jesus expects 
is that first, this is how it works. You step back. How do you love God? First, you honor the fact that God is faithful. If I'm not going to have an adulterous, lustful heart, it's going to start by being amazed that God is utterly faithful. God keeps his promises. No matter how unfaithful his people are, God keeps his promises. And then I love this God who is faithful. And because I love this God who is faithful, I'm going to be faithful with my heart. I'm not going to lust after someone who is not my own. I'm going to see someone who I might find attractive, and rather than dress them with my eyes, I'm going to love them from the heart. I'm not just going to avoid lust. I'm going to love and pray for their best. That's why, look at that in verse 2, it says, how do you love the children? By loving God and carrying out his commands at this deeper level. Or think of the commandment, thou shall not steal, right? Minimalist obedience thinks, okay, if I don't take anybody's wallet at church today, I've been a-okay. But again, the New Testament, what God is inviting us in order to really love is to do a deep, profound work of the heart. And you stand back first and you're just wowed at the generosity of God. Right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He's got eight or nine planets in this solar system that he could have given. Right? How many planets does he have in the universe? Right? But he has one and only son, and he gives us that. So we marvel at the generosity of God. And then we correspondingly want to be generous, richly, lavishly generous. We, we want to... You know, I picture a woman who's giving regularly to charities that clothe the naked and feed the poor. A woman who thinks thoughtfully about the money that comes in and she's tithing to make sure people around the world hear about Jesus, tithing to her local church. She's giving away her possessions. And then, of course, out of love and respect for other people, she doesn't take their money and possessions. This is the transformative work that is subjectively experienced for a Christian. This is happening in our lives. We've been born again. We've been made new. And now we love in these new ways. It's amazing. It's, it's wonderful. It's deep. It's, it's profound. In fact, in verse 3, it says, this is, in fact, this is love for God to keep his commandments, and his commands are not burdensome. Don't you agree that a life of generosity, purity, and kindness is less burdensome than a life of greed, lust, and anger? That's John's point. Satan comes and and says something like, God's commands are a bore and a chore, something that we should ignore. And John says, they're not burdensome. This is life. This is love. It's why the psalmist in Psalm 19, Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11, been touched by God, and so the psalmist sings, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are, are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. And by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Look at verses 4 and 5. It says, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. 
Now notice that, again, John ties faith with the victorious Christian life. But what is the victorious Christian life that he's been describing? It's the new birth, marked by new love, sparking new obedience. This is the victorious Christian life. It's not a, like a posh house and a Porsche. Right? It's not having perfect kids. The victorious Christian life is this radical transformation from the inside out, allowing us to love and obey like it was never, was never possible. Out of faith springs freedom from the world's shackles and, this, and, and freedom from sin's lies. But again, notice the emphasis John makes. It is centered on faith. In fact, the Protestant reformers rightly said, faith alone is the victory. Trusting in Christ alone secures these things. These are the universal features for everyone who believes. So we believe and we trust. Belief is the only thing necessary to secure all the promises of God. Every piece of the victorious life. Start talking about Christian faith. First thing you need to know, it is a subjective experience of profound spiritual victory. It's something that you can experience. But there's more to it. And, and so he's going to go on, secondly, and talk about Christian faith is based on objective reality. So even though it's subjectively experienced, it's personally experienced, it's based on objective reality. Um, there was actually a little discussion at a recent larger family gathering about the impact of the planets and your and time of the month and astrology. And one of my children just happened to say, isn't that superstition? Right? Is that based on an objective reality? It's just a good question. And John's going to say, everything I've been talking about, this new, profound, experiential, subjective experience, it's based on something objective. And he says, let me tell you about it. Verse 6. It's based on this one. This is the one who came by water and the blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood, and it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. Now, admittedly, that's a little confusing. That's not a lot of things you whip out when someone's like, can you tell me about the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, let me tell you about the three witnesses. The water, the blood, and the Spirit. And then the people on the sidewalk go, oh, now I get it. You pretty much, you know, I was confused. So even though this is confusing, let me just give you what I think is the best explanation. And you can go research the other people who have tried to explain this. Um, the three that testify are this. The water symbolizes Jesus' baptism, which is really the beginning of his ministry. Second, the blood, it points toward his death. And the Spirit is the Holy Spirit who confirmed his ministry from beginning to end. Primarily, the Spirit, it says in Romans chapter 1, is, pronounces him the victor through the resurrection. So even if you actually even think about those three major events, at every single one of those major events, heaven confirmed who Jesus was or who Jesus is. So think about this. At the baptism of Jesus, heaven opened and a voice spoke from heaven. At Jesus' death, darkness covered the earth. When he bowed his head, the earth shook. Similarly, when the Spirit vindicated Jesus on Resurrection Sunday, the earth shook. 
The spirit, the water, and the blood, they all confirm that Jesus is to be the object of our faith. You can't experience a subjective victory or experience a subjective victory if there isn't an objective victory. Think about it this way. Maybe you have a billionaire uncle right now. And when you die, this billionaire uncle is going to give you $10 million. By the way, send him a Christmas card every year. Right? right now, though, your uncle is objectively still alive, which means you are subjectively not a millionaire. At his objective historical death, now you can tell people you're a millionaire. Now you can experience the millionaire lifestyle, but not yet. Christians believe Jesus has already won. Objectively, in history, in real space and time, Jesus has already succeeded. And this is why Jesus' resurrection is as important as his crucifixion. Yes, his death purchased us. Yes, his, his death, his blood pierced is how we are forgiven. His death pays for our sins, but it's his resurrection that confirms this. And because it's been confirmed by Jesus' resurrection, when you turn to Jesus in faith, you can experience subjectively, experientially now, to be forgiven, born again, and made alive. And again, don't just believe my word, believe the testimony of the Spirit, the water, and the blood. You need good testimony to make big decisions. It's just important. For instance, I had a, went to my physical, I had a small little irregularity in my heart, and so I had to, God to get sent to a cardiologist. And my Unity Point physician sent me to Dr. Hisham Wagdi. There's Dr. Hisham Wagdi. He didn't look that good when I saw him because he had a mask covering his face. Now, Dr. Wagdy not only passed the vetting process from the Physicians Clinic of Iowa in order to procure a job, he also has a certification by the American Board of Internal Medicine. So the testimony of my personal doctor, PCI, and a national medical board bear witness. You can trust Dr. Wagdy with your life. But how much more the testimony of God? And that's what John says in verse 9. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his son. Again, just go through those, spirit, water, blood. I mean, how many people at their birth had the, the kinds of miraculous things that happened around Jesus' birth? How about the beginning of someone's public ministry? How about at the time of someone's death, darkness, earthquake? How about at the resurrection, right? Earthquake, angels. I mean, these, these are heavenly signs for the original witnesses to say, this is someone different. And if you remember back just the first pages of 1 John, let me remind you what John said. He's, trying to, he's starting to say, this is a real person happened in real history. And he says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, this was that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. This is an objective event that's been recorded so that we can believe. The object of our faith is Jesus Christ, the Son. We're to trust Jesus, the fully God and fully human Savior. We trust Jesus, the Son of God, who came to take away the sins of the world. 
subjective. Now, before we look at a third aspect of faith, uh, let me just liken Christianity to marriage for a second. If I came up to you today and, and I looked you in the eyes and I said, are you married? Are you married? Are you married? Are you married? It's a fairly, um, hopefully, it's a fairly easy thing to say yes or no. If you say I'm not sure, probably not in a good state of mind, or there might be some you know, issues going on in your marriage, I really believe the Apostle Paul wants us to be able to answer the question, are you a, a Christian with the same kind of confidence? He's assuming it's a, either a yes or no reply. If you are a Christian, you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, you should be you should have experienced the new birth. There should be new love growing in your heart, new obedience being demonstrated in your life. But if you're still not sure, let's look at what he says in verses 10, excuse me, yeah, verses 10, 11, and 12. Verse 10, John says, whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar. Because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And then back to basics. And this is the testimony God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. So we've looked at faith is subjective. Uh, faith is based in, uh, it's objective. It's based in objective historical reality. But here we're going to see that Faith requires activation. The one who has faith has eternal life. Now, these are simple categories that John is offering. In category one, there is a person who rejects the testimony about Jesus, says God is a liar, and such a person has no eternal life and no life with the Son of God. In category two, there is a person who receives the testimony about Jesus, believes God's word, and such a person uh, has eternal life and possesses life with the Son. Category one, does not possess faith. Category two, does possess faith. One is active. One is not active. Uh, this is why these, these simple verses are why it's been a very common question, in the 20th, particularly in the 20th century. Someone would say, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Personal relationship with Jesus Christ is not automatic. Yes, we've, we heard God takes the initiative, right? Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Yes, God takes the initiative, but it requires a human response. For most of you, it starts with a desire to have. I want to have. I want to have the Son. And then they understand, in some ways, the simplicity of the gospel. To have the Son, you believe. You don't work for it. You don't obey enough and then believe. You believe that God has given us this gift and you receive in faith. And then as you believe, what happens is this experience of new life and new obedience. It's interesting, Christianity is one of the few religions or maybe the only religion that offers assurance of salvation for its people. 
Islam is a, is, is, is a life of surrender to Allah. That's what a Muslim is. It's a surrendered one. But in Islam, you, you never know if you reach paradise. There's no assurance. You got you to gotta get to the end judgment and hope that your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. But you'll never know. Uh, in Hinduism, there's one arduous effort after another to try to escape karma, to reach nirvana, to try to end this cycle of reincarnations. But you don't know. You may escape. You may be an elephant. Don't know. And then certainly things like atheism, agnosticism, they would put forward something of no hope or, or no assurance. I actually had a a professor, he actually taught my Old Testament class at Iowa State University. He was the head of the Atheist and Agnostic Society. And I remember going to a lecture. It was like 10 reasons that I'm an atheist. And number 10, if I, maybe it was nine. I can't, a long time ago. I'm getting old. But it was like, he said, I am okay to die and become worm food. That was one of the reasons why he was an atheist. He was okay with dying and becoming worm food. But Christianity comes in and says, God has come, and he has testified to the truthfulness of his son. He's validated his life and his death and his resurrection. And if you believe in him, you can know that you have eternal life. We're studying in Sunday school, come back at 10.50, 11 o'clock, where you're studying a catechism. It's called the New City Catechism. And question 30, coming up in a few weeks, asks the question, what is faith? Let me read to you how the New City Catechism defines faith. Faith in Jesus Christ is acknowledging the truth, everything that God has revealed in his word, trusting in him, and also receiving and resting on him alone for salvation as he has offered to us in the gospel. One more time. Faith in Jesus Christ is acknowledging the truth, everything that God has revealed in his word, trusting in him and also receiving and resting on him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. That's one of the things I love uh, in verse 12. Right? Whoever has the Son has eternal life. Right? What is ultimately being offered in the good news of Christianity is a person. It's Jesus. Not a set of theological ideas. Yes, I accept theology 101 in my heart. And, no, I, I receive Jesus the person. I want to believe in him the person. I want to walk with him the person. So, brother and sister Christian, praise God, our victory is by faith in the Son of God. You'll never do enough, obey enough, or pray enough, but victory is by faith. We believe. Now, John Bunyan has gone down in history as a faithful Christian pastor and writer. Uh, some of you guys are familiar with a, a work he did called Pilgrim Pro- Progress. Uh, but he did, not out, he did not start out as a man of faith. Uh, I was reading a summary of his life by a biographer named David Calhoun, re- David Calhoun recently. This is what I learned. At about the age of 20, Bunyan was a peddler, and he was selling wares. He caroused with friends and cared not a lick about God. But then he got married, sounds like to a God-fearing woman, and started going to church. But he just assumed that all was well with God until one day he came upon four poor women 
who were speaking about religious matters in a way that John had never heard. And this is what he wrote happened to him. He said, for their talk was about a new birth, the work of God on their hearts. They spoke as if, as if joy did make them speak. And just to, to encounter people who had truly experienced faith, it began to, he began to have his own troubles. He, he had not experienced a faith like that. And so for many, many days, his soul was troubled. He would ask questions like, how could I know this God? How could I have, his, how could I have this new birth? And so one morning, he came upon the words of Scripture. The, the Scripture said, my grace is sufficient. John Bunyan tells us that these words, he resisted no more. He fell into God's loving arms. And then in his own words, he writes, it was as if it, God, had arms of grace so wide and it could not only enclose me, but many more besides. A little later, he felt a desire grow up in his heart and he spoke these words to himself, I must go to Jesus. And what happened when he did? Again, his own words, he writes, at this, my former darkness and atheism fled away, and the blessed things of heaven were set within my view. And then this, there's this really sweet moment. He, he goes to his wife, and he looks her in the eyes, and he says, Oh, now I know. I know. I mean, what a moment for his wife. You have to think she's been praying for him. What a moment for John to finally say, I know. I know. This gift is available to all who believe. I know. I know. So how might we engage with these truths this week? Uh, I can imagine one type of Christian in this room finding peace. Peace, because you're reminded today that victory is by faith. You're not a victorious Christian only if you get your addiction figured out. Only if, if you stop doing that persistent sin that's been in your life for 30, day, 30 years. The victory is by faith. You're a victorious Christian when you believe. And I hope that that means when you go to the Lord's Supper today, you go with a smile on your face that you have, that meal has been purchased for you by the works of Jesus, not your works. That that victory was purchased for you because you could never have victory on your own. And so you rest in the victory is faith in Jesus. It's not your performance that matters. It's the finished work of Jesus on the cross. I can imagine another person listening today thinking of a person in their life that needs to be told again or for the first time about believing in Jesus Christ. Maybe it's someone you know who kind of mentally assents to the things of Christianity, but it's never really responded in faith, never believed and put their hope, never, as the New City Catechism said, to rest and receive. So you're imagining, who is that person and how do I speak to them this week? I can imagine someone else letting go of a lot of false beliefs about faith. Maybe you were told that if you just believed hard enough, God would answer your prayers. But faith is not a tool we use to manipulate God. Faith isn't a stick we have to, you know, a stick we have to jump over in order for God to listen to us. Faith is resting on the promises of Jesus' work. Faith is believing God's testimony 
and faith is victory. Forgiveness and assurance in this life and total renewal in the next. Faith is a drowning soul crying out, save me, Jesus. In glory to God, the objective, historical, victorious king swoops down to save all those who call to him. Let me pray. Father, as we uh, close uh, this discussion on faith, I pray, God, that you would uh, restore our faith, renew our faith. Um, I remember the great prayer of the man in the Gospels who says, I believe, help my unbelief. And I know a lot of people in this room probably feel that way. I believe this. I've banked my life on this. Help my unbelief. But we thank you. It's not the strength of our faith that saves us. It's the strength of the one in whom we believe that saves us. And God, you are strong. Jesus, you have been faithful. And so we put our trust again once again, once again in you. And we long for more of you in this life and in the next. In Jesus' name. Amen.